0: Whoever divorces his wife causes her to commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Even for those who believe that Jesus Christ is Lord, these are among the most difficult words in Holy Scripture to believe and understand. But there is no way around them, over them, or under them. So, in fidelity to the gospel, we must go through them to see what they mean. This hard saying of Christ about marriage was as countercultural when he first said it as it is today. But he had even harder things to say than that. I tell you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. That saying makes salvation seem impossible. And given that it was the full-time job of the scribes and Pharisees to teach the people how to enter the kingdom of heaven, it is no wonder that they wanted Jesus dead. Today is the third of four Sundays on which the gospel is taken from the Sermon on the Mount, a text which fills all of chapters 5, 6, and 7 of St. Matthew's Gospel. And Matthew's account of that sermon ends with this report. When Jesus finished these words, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as their scribes. Recall that the scribes, along with the Pharisees and Sadducees, were the primary opponents of Jesus during his public ministry. And they regularly attempted to trap him into repudiating the law of Moses so that they would have a reason to convict him of blasphemy and then have him executed. And that is why in the opening passage of today's gospel, the Lord Jesus plainly states his relationship to the law of Moses. Do not think, he says, that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish, but to fulfill. Think of the scene described by St. John in chapter 8 of his gospel. The scribes and Pharisees brought to Jesus a woman they had caught in adultery and made her stand in public, exposed to shame. They said to Jesus, Rabbi, This woman was caught in the very act of committing adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. What do you say? They thought they had him. They knew that he would not condone the execution of this humiliated woman, but they believed that the only way he could keep her alive was to repudiate the law. But he evaded their trap with beautiful simplicity. Let the one among you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. The scribes and Pharisees were convinced the law demanded her death. But Jesus showed them that even adulterers could find love and mercy without breaking the law. And that is what we must remember today as we read the teaching of the Lord Jesus about divorce and remarriage a topic which he also addressed in chapter 19 of Matthew's Gospel. In that passage, Jesus was approached again by a group of Pharisees who wanted to test him. They asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any cause whatever? They knew what he had already taught about divorce and remarriage in the Sermon on the Mount, and the Pharisees once again assumed that they could catch Jesus in a contradiction of Moses. So he acknowledged their point, but with a twist. Because of the hardness of your hearts, Jesus explained, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. And then Jesus explained his teaching with an appeal to Genesis. Have you not read that from the beginning the Creator made them male and female? and said, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, no man must separate. In other words, Jesus insisted that even Moses departed from God's original plan for marriage because of the hardness of the fallen human heart. And that is the very thing, our fallen hearts, which Jesus came to heal by making his disciples a new creation whose hearts of stone are replaced by loving and merciful hearts after the pattern of his own love and mercy. And that transformation in us is entirely a work of grace. I tell you, says the Lord Jesus, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter into the kingdom of heaven. The righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, though, was based on external observance of the law, and Jesus reveals that to stand in the kingdom of heaven, even external obedience is not enough. Not killing a man we hate is insufficient. We must not hate him at all. Not committing adultery in the flesh is insufficient. We must not even be consumed by the desire. And before we can truly worship God, we must be reconciled with anyone whom we have injured or sinned against. In other words, our hearts must be made new, and the very things we want must be purified by our transformation from the children of Adam into the children of God. And that change in us is entirely a work of God's grace through faith, hope, and love. Marriages fail for many reasons, and the Lord Jesus knows them all intimately. But the Savior also teaches clearly that no power on earth may break the bond of marriage once it is truly made. So even if a civil court grants a divorce and then either of the former spouses marries again, they are not truly married to the second spouse so long as their first spouse lives. But that does not mean that those who remarry after divorce are shut off from divine mercy. Quite the contrary. Think of the Samaritan woman at the well. She had been married five times And when she met the Lord Jesus, she was living with a man to whom she was not married. Did Jesus speak to her with contempt or derision? No. He spoke to her with love and understanding. And in approaching her with mercy, Jesus opened her heart to see the truth and be changed by it. That is the good news of salvation, the gospel of Jesus Christ. In Christ, justice and mercy are not opposed to each other, any more than his divine and human natures are opposed. And in Christ's teaching on marriage, he is not laying on our backs a burden too heavy to bear. Jesus rather lifts our eyes to the original dignity of the human person and to the restored dignity and integrity of marriage, which he raised to be one of the seven sacraments of the new covenant. But since Christ knows our fallen human nature, he also knows that we often fail even in our most sacred duties. That is one reason why Christ acknowledges that not everyone who gets married has in fact created the true bond of matrimony. Listen again. I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, unless the marriage is unlawful, causes her to commit adultery. By saying, unless the marriage is unlawful, Jesus acknowledges an exception to the norm he has just given. And in St. Paul's teaching on marriage, the Apostle mentions a different sort of exception, one connected to Christians marrying unbelievers. To this day, the precise meaning and consequences of these exceptions is still debated by our best theologians, but the point is clear. It is possible that when a couple get married, they do not actually create the sacramental bond of holy matrimony, even though they intended to do so. This insight is at the heart of the church's canonical procedures, which are designed to determine if a union between husband and wife, which ended in divorce, was a civil contract only and not the sacrament of holy matrimony. A declaration of invalidity is not an attempt by the Church to dissolve the true bond of marriage. No power on earth can do that. Rather, a declaration of invalidity is a finding by the Church that what was thought in good faith to have been the sacrament of holy matrimony was in fact only the civil contract of marriage, which a civil court has already dissolved. And for this reason... The former spouses are then free to marry in the church as though for the first time. The church carries out this process of discernment and declaration through ecclesiastical courts called tribunals, and anyone is welcome to ask a tribunal to investigate a marriage which has ended in divorce to determine whether or not it was a sacrament of the new covenant. But in some cases, those who have been married and divorced marry again outside the church without a declaration of invalidity for their first union. And that places them in a condition of impaired communion with the church. Catholics who marry outside the church for any reason are normally no longer able to go to confession or to receive Holy Communion until and unless they can exchange marriage vows in the church. But the exclusion from the sacraments of those who are married outside the church is not a punishment or a pharisaical insistence that they are excluded from God's grace. Being unable to receive the sacraments because of marriage outside the church is rather a consequence of the dignity of holy matrimony and the unity of all seven sacraments in a single economy of grace. Perhaps an analogy to another sacrament will help us here. Imagine that I had gone for ordination to an Anglican bishop and then expected a Catholic bishop to accept and appoint me to priestly ministry in the church. That is not possible because the sacramental economy is seamless and marrying outside the church, no less than being ordained outside the church, rends and tears that seamless garment. That is why those who are married outside the church cannot receive the other sacraments. But that does not mean that they are cut off from Christ, abandoned by the church, or excluded from the fellowship of Christians. Not at all. The sacraments are the ordinary means of grace, but they are not the only means of grace. And we all have the duty to walk with those Catholics in irregular marriages with love, mercy, compassion, and understanding, just as Jesus did. So those who are living outside the sacrament of holy matrimony are not separated from Christ or his church, and they should speak with their pastor about how to find a way forward. In certain circumstances, there may even be a path back to the sacraments for those who truly seek reconciliation. I tell you, says the Lord, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter into the Kingdom of Heaven. But if that be true, then what hope is there for any of us to enter the Kingdom? Well, there is only one hope. Our only hope for salvation is the Rabbi from Nazareth, who is the power and wisdom of God, the eternal Word made flesh, who fulfilled the law perfectly. And by our union of grace with him, through faith, hope, and love, we receive as a gift what we could never earn or claim as our own, the righteousness to enter the kingdom of heaven as friends and disciples of the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ.